Welcome to Health Plus Tech, the podcast where we explore the law that applies at the intersection of healthcare and technology. Hosted by McGuire Woods, episodes feature healthcare innovators and updates on the laws that apply to digital health businesses. Welcome to the Health Plus Tech Podcast. I'm Kristen McDermott Woodrum, a partner in the Atlanta office of McGuire Woods. I'm joined by my partner, Holly Buckley, who is based in Chicago and chairs the McGuire Woods Healthcare Department. Holly and I lead the McGuire Woods Digital Health Technology and Innovation Practice and are hosts of this Health Plus Tech podcast. Today, we are excited to welcome to the podcast, Roman Sandler. Roman is the CTO and co-founder at iCardio.ai, where he leads the AI team. Roman earned his PhD from USC in biomedical engineering, focusing on the intersection of machine learning and computational neuroscience. Prior to iCardioAI.ai, Roman spent over a decade working in and leading AI computer vision teams in the biomed and defense industries. Welcome, Roman. Thank you so much, Kristen and Holly. Great to be here. Roman, tell us about yourself, your scientific interests, education, and career path, and what led you to move from working on military-grade AI to co-founding a startup that focuses on AI and echocardiogram. Yeah, sure. So I, I guess I, I got my start, uh, you know, originally what, what I really wanted to do was uh, neuroengineering, brain-machine interfaces, and that that's what I went to grad school for at USC, uh, working with Ted Berger and Vasilis Barbarellis. And, you know, it, it kind of fortuitously, even though that wasn't my intent, what, what I, had, I ended up actually never working with any real brains. I was sitting in a, in a room all day on a computer, essentially learning from brain data, doing machine learning with, with brain data. And, you know, looking back, that, that was very fortuitous because it got me into the machine learning space very early before, you know, even deep learning was, was a thing. Uh, so after, after grad school, I worked in the neurotech industry. I, I was a founding member of a, of a startup called Kernel. Uh, and then, um, you know, they pivoted and uh, I had to get on the way to a job. So I just landed a job in defense. Uh, also ki- kind of serendipitous because even though I, d- I didn't have a lot of expectations, but I ended up really uh, fine tuning and learning a lot about uh, machine learning and specifically computer vision. There, I think that, you know, there, there's a lot of computer vision problems that, you know, the defense department faces. And, you know, I, I think in my time there, there's probably, I probably touched every single computer vision problem which prepared me very well for my time at iCardio. Uh, while I was there, I socially met, you know, a friend, uh, my, now my uh, co-founder and partner, Joseph Sokol, who, uh, who really was the vision behind iCardio. And he knew that I had a machine learning background. So at first we would kind of talk informally, then, you know, I started consulting for him. And eventually, and I'll, I'll get into the reasons why the opportunity was just so exciting for me that I jumped ship and uh, decided to uh, join iCardio full-time as uh, as a co-founder. That's great. Thank you, Roman. Um, so iCardio AI builds tools for everything echo to reduce time spent on echocardiograms and to reduce misdiagnoses. Can you tell us more about how the technology works? Yeah, sure. Um, so maybe before I tell you about how it works, so let me tell you about why we believe this is needed. Uh, so right now it takes a about an hour to conduct an echocardiographic exam between the technician and the reading cardiologist. Um, this is a lot of time. This is this costs billions of dollars to the health system every year, and there's a huge staff shortage right now. So there's actually 
less cardiologists today than there were five years ago. And we're about 30,000 sonographers short of meeting demand in the US. And we believe that automated, automatic AI tools could really help with that bottleneck. In addition to that, we're, we're really trying to fight misdiagnosis and underdiagnosis just because of you know burnout, fatigue, oversight. Doctors and technicians will just miss things. So 85% of the people who have HCM are never diagnosed. The majority of people with severe aortic stenosis who are eligible for a valve intervention never end up getting it. Uh, in particular, this difference, there, there's a sevenfold difference in valve utilization in areas with the highest population densities to the lowest population density. So there's a big disparity in terms of urban rural populations. There's also, uh, it's well known that there's large racial disparities in who gets treated for these things. And uh, we, we think that AI can help here as well. If every, ideally, uh, we envision a world where in the future, every single patient who gets an echo will have an AI do a standardized automatic read that works the same on anyone and is relatively very low cost compared to a human cardiologist. We believe that that can dramatically uh, streamline the workflow and improve the lives of patients. Uh, as far as how it works, so um, let, let me kind of start off with how an echo exam is conducted. Right now, you have a patient who goes into a hospital. Uh, you know, a referring doctor will say, "We need to see how his heart looks." Echocardiography. Uh, there's about 30 million echoes done each year in the U.S. is the forefront modality for screening for heart disease because it's relatively cheap and, uh, and very safe compared to other forms of uh, radi radiation-based imaging. And so the, uh, you have a technician come into the room and take scans of, of the patient's heart from about you know up to 30 different views. He'll collect about 45 different videos. And then he'll spend a long time going through the videos, finding which videos correspond to what view of the heart, and then sort of manually annotating them to get uh, quantitative measurements. Uh, then he'll go on to his next patient. And at a certain time later, it could be anywhere. It's supposed to be under two days, but we've seen community hospitals where it can take as long as two weeks. Uh, the reading cardiologist will go look at the uh, at the at the echo videos and the technician's measurements, and then do the actual diagnosis. So we would kind of inject our, our ourselves into two spots in this workflow. First, we would help the technician. We would provide automated measurements, so he already is looking. At, he kind of has the work done for him. He would only need to correct them after, if needed, and then also. Uh, immediately afterwards, we would generate a preliminary report if there's any warnings that uh, require the, a doctor to look at, potentially look at the patient right away, you know, where we can't wait around for two days to two weeks, we would alert the, uh, the reading cardiologist. But in either case, by the time the cardiologist sits down to read the report, he already has the answers in front of him once again, and all he would have to do is uh, correct anything. Um, so um, yeah, so that, that's kind of how it works on the, on the workflow-wise. That's helpful. That's very labor intensive. I appreciate the background. And so your technology can read the entire echocardiogram and produce a cardiologist report more quickly. Um, any, any thoughts on how to fit this within the existing delivery system or where, where we're headed? Yeah, sure. Um, so, and, and yeah, let, let me just uh, also kind of uh, point out to, you know, something you said and, and maybe go a little bit more about how this company started. So, our aim absolutely is to reproduce the entire cardiologist report. Uh, the, you know, we're not the only ones to have, you know, to want to apply AI to echo, but I, I think that 
where where perhaps we differ is our vision is is not to do a measurement here or a diagnose or you know one pathology or diagnosis there. We really want to reproduce the full report. Um, you know, just just kind of our going a little bit more into our origin story. We were a company that sort of started around a data set as uh, a- Andrew Ng, you know, uh, who's a very seminal deep learning researcher, kind of says. In, in machine learning, the algorithm is the rocket and the data is the fuel. So we started off with a lot of fuel. Our uh, co-founder and original CMO, Dr. Josh Penn, he ran a telecardiology business for over 20 years, uh, operating in over 20 states and over 350 centers across the country, where he collected a data set of over 150,000 echo studies fully labeled. That's over 200 million labeled images. And, you know, when we kind of when we first started neither myself or my partner really knew anything about cardiology or echo we just saw this huge data set and you know we saw that the reports that his company would uh, deliver to the referring to the referring doctor essentially their customer and you know our goal from, from day one was saying we want to create an automated version of this and so you know where we are now is we have 40 tools for the interpretation of echocardiography both for quantitative measurements where we, you know, annotate a part of the image and say, you know, this diameter is X amount of centimeters or uh, Y amount of milliliters, as well as for the detection of over 30 different types of pathologies that are present in the heart, ranging from uh, valve disease, atrial fibrillation, heart failure, et cetera. Um, and, you know, as, as kind of, as far as how kind of this all works, we knew because, um, of the sheer amount of models that we have to create to do this. Right now, we have over 40 production-ready models for you know interpretation of the heart. We knew that we couldn't sort of train each model in a bespoke fashion, kind of, which I I think is how a lot of other AI companies do it. You know, they train one algorithm at a time. We knew that we had to create a very sophisticated AI infrastructure uh, that can you know sort of help us automatically train, manage, deploy, and deploy these models at scale. And so, you know, now it's it's gone to the point where we can specify the disease we want to go after, uh, let's say pericardial effusion, and with a click of a button, we can scour our database for relevant cases, upload them to the cloud, uh, train them with our sort of secret sauce deforming architecture that we already knows, know, know work, works well on this problem. Uh, and then validate on the holdout set, generate the relevant uh, FDA documentation in, uh, in the process, and then deploy it to an endpoint that's accessible for customers all over the world. And so this is a, a pretty automated process at this point that we're very proud of, and we've also uh, sort of used for kind of uh, R&D to help others as well. Thank you. It's just uh, super impressive and exciting. Um, we also heard that you recently collaborated with Tufts University to demonstrate how machine learning can predict aortic stenosis. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about that uh, project? Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I think I already mentioned aortic stenosis. I, I think it's uh, it, it's probably you know it's, it's one of our uh, nearest term targets because you know it's well known that it's underdiagnosed, and there's there's a lot of uh, kind of population density and racial disparities in it. And we already know that we can do it really well. So the collaboration with Tufts, with uh, with Ben Wessler, uh, who's who's one of our advisors, uh, there we we actually found them through this because they, they kind of uh, published on this beforehand, and we reached out to them, and 
we uh, worked together on the model. In that paper, they actually used our our data set to validate their model on a on an external site. We we also have a comparable model that that performs very similarly. And uh, the reason that this this is really exciting is because uh, aortic stenosis is traditionally uh, diagnosed via Doppler imaging, uh, but we did this directly from T 2D or, or B mode echo, which has never been done before, and, and this has a lot of um, this has a lot of uh, value. Uh, first off, uh, while Doppler can be reliable in the sense that <clears throat> it's a it's a very quantitative approach for uh, for uh, classifying this disease, uh, it could be occasionally hard for the sonographer to get the right Doppler angle, and there's no way to know if, if they got the right one. Uh, you know, if, if they if they got the maximal jet or not, and so. You know, we believe that this leads to a lot of underdiagnosis of, of AS. And so by doing this in, in 2D, which is sort of like a, a complementary modality, uh, this could be another sanity check for the reviewing doctor to say, hey, it doesn't look like there's any AS in, in the Doppler, but uh, this 2D is like really ringing a lot, of, a lot of alarm bells. Let me send the technician back to make sure that he did it right. Uh, in addition, there's a, you know what's called point of care ultrasound, which is a big revolution in the ultrasound space going back a couple of years now with leaders like uh, Butterfly Network and Aquarius, where, uh, you know, with, with the latest technology, we've been able to compress a quarter million dollar cart based, you know, uh, ultrasound machine into something that costs, you know, a couple thousand dollars, fits in your pocket and connects to your iPhone. Uh, and so this really is creating a revolution in the sense that it's bringing echo outside of its traditional use environment in hospitals and further out into the community uh, and a lot of these machines don't have Doppler and so that's why we believe that the uh, capability just to detect AS from B mode is really going to open up a lot of doors there. Great and I'm curious and I think I'm hearing some of some of it my question answered in some of the comments you've already given um, in the the approach here is really to um, augment and enhance the work of the cardiologist rather than replace the cardiologist. Uh, but can you maybe talk a little bit about uh, what kind of reception you've got from cardiologists and how you've been able to work to build the confidence from these um, doctors uh, to support your product and, and any challenges you may have faced with that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I'll say car cardiologists are our easiest sell. They're, they're our biggest fans because I think they're on the front lines. They they see all the issues. They they know how much of a value add we we can add, especially to their lives. Because at the end of the day, you know, we're um, you know we're we're saving them a lot of time. And so, you know, they they, they love this. So they're you know, it's, it's a IT team, the hospital administrators. They're they're kind of the more the more challenging uh, stakeholders to sell, but. With cardiologists, you know, we, we work very closely with our clinical team to help build our products. And whenever we, you know, pitch our product to new cardiologists, the, the first thing that we'll do is give them a demo of our product and also offer them the opportunity to upload their studies to our system uh, so they can kind of build trust and confidence uh, in, in our product. And is your product largely invisible to consumers or... Um a patient's consumer is generally aware of uh, this functionality behind the scenes, and and how do they interact with it? Yeah, so we we are our our target audience is are mostly clinicians, sonographers, and cardiologists. Uh, at at this point, consumers wouldn't really this would kind of be behind the scenes 
from their perspective. Uh, you know, because we are you know, making quantitative measurements and diagnoses. So there, there's, as far as FDA is concerned, you know, there's also limitations there. I, I think in the future, uh, you know, with the rise of focus, that's trying, that's getting near and nearer to consumers, you know, potentially one day, you know, we all might have one of these things in our homes. Um, I, I think that potentially could bring us closer, but, you know, certainly not in the near, near term timeline. Robin, you mentioned that the toughest sell is kind of hospital administration and, and IT. And uh, my thought is that's probably somehow related to the reimbursement challenges with the solution. But maybe you could talk about that and, and how this works from a financial perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, by, by way of background, when we started the company, we were perhaps uh, young and perhaps too naive. Uh, we, you know, we kind of thought we're going to make this amazing product that's going to help doctors, help patients, and, you know, we'll figure out how this will get paid for and how to make money on this. Uh, turns out, you know, I think that that's been uh, one of the hardest parts of, of having a medical imaging AI company. I, I don't think it's just us. Yeah, I think that a lot of people in the space are, are sort of wrestling with the go-to-market strategy. Uh, it's, it's not trivial to as far as who will pay for this like i said you know cardiologists love us they're, they're on board and then you know we'll typically go to the higher ups and they'll say okay how's how much is this going to cost us and is this going to make us money um and i i think that our our answers there and took took some some thinking but our answers there are twofold one uh we you know i i think that the so one is efficiency gains we're, we're going to save doctors time they're you know they're the most expensive resource in the system and their time could eventually be used, could, could be used to do other revenue generating procedures. Uh, so that's kind of the most obvious argument. I also think it's probably the hardest sell because while, while it makes sense, there's sort of some, it, it doesn't manifest itself immediately in the hospital's bottom line. A lot of these, you know, there, there's, there's not an unlimited amount of cases that, you know, if they, if they finish their, you know, these studies faster, they could, uh, read 10 more and, and thus directly increase billing. Um, so the the other argument, which I, I think is is more powerful, is that there, it's well known that there's a lot of missed uh, misdiagnosis, as I, I mentioned in the beginning, <clears throat> not for every condition, but for a lot of conditions, uh, the follow up is the follow up to after you diagnose is uh, more follow ups, more imaging, and more procedures, which can potentially be revenue generating. So, for example, in the case of aortic stenosis, uh, the most common treatment is a TAVR or an artificial. Um, aortic valve, that generates on average $120,000 in revenue for the hospital. So theoretically, if we find just one missed case of uh, aortic stenosis that leads to a TAVR per year, that would pretty much pay for our whole product. Uh, now, obviously, that also requires, uh, I don't want to say mental gymnastics, but, but evidence. So we're in clinical trials now at, at three US sites, not just show that our product works, but also to kind of study our effect on on the bottom line, can we find these missed cases? Would they lead to additional revenue generating procedures, et cetera? Uh, so that, that's kind of case two. And then the third one uh, is perhaps the most exciting is uh, you mentioned reimbursement. So when we started this company, looking at the reimbursement landscape, we kind of, we assumed that reimbursement will eventually happen uh, by, by payers, but we don't know when, and we're not going to build our company around that assumption. Um, and so, you know, all of the pitches we've done, and all of our business models essentially have no, assume there's no reimbursement. But just recently, 
uh, I'll say the last uh, month or two ago, probably two months, uh, CMS just approved the first uh, reimbursement code uh, for for an echo diagnosis of uh, heart failure. The uh, it was uh, inpatient with NTAP, which is reimbursed a thousand dollars. Just for context, the professional fee for reading an echo is about a hundred dollars. So this is a dramatic revenue increase. Uh, on the and they also approved a new tech APC on the outpatient side, which uh, was, was much more modest. I think that was uh, uh, I, for, I forgot the exact amount, maybe hundred like in, in the hundred to two hundred dollars, but still approximately the amount that the doctor gets for reading the echo just by running it through the software. He can um, you know he can pretty much uh, double his uh, his revenue, and so I, I think that. This this is really exciting for us. I think that this is dramatically going to increase adoption of not just our technology, but you know more broadly, AI in healthcare in general. I mean that that's really what these uh, like what the NTAP and, and the new tech APC program are for is to drive the adoption of new technologies. And I, I think event you know these are uh, reimbursement structures where there's you know they they do have an expiration date, but eventually. I believe that there will be a more permanent uh, reimbursement code in place, and I think that once once uh, providers can see the direct reimbursement, that that's really going to you know make things easier. That's terrific, and uh, it sounds like there's uh, multiple avenues for both demonstrating ROI, which I think can be a challenge with a lot of these solutions in terms of the sell to administration. Um, but then in addition, there may be some opportunity for more direct reimbursement, which is just terrific. Next, I was I was going to ask you a little bit about the, co- the company's trajectory. And some of our listeners are in the startup space. And just from the moment of kind of inception of a company through to profitability can be a long one. And so we're just curious of the, the story of iCardio.ai. Um, how how the solution evolved. You mentioned starting with a lot of data based on um, clinical work that had previously occurred. But how was the the research and development funded? At what point uh, in, in the past, if applicable, did you guys get to profitability? And and how has some of that worked? Yeah, sure. So, uh, um, yeah, so startups are obviously a roller coaster of of ups and downs uh yes and, and it's it's been a really fun exciting and you know certainly sometimes difficult ride so yeah we were you know i'll say we when we started we were we were a true garage startup you know we this data set that i refer to is literally on a bunch of hard drives in dr penn's basement so you know probably the hardest to, um, from a product standpoint the hardest part of you know the company was just organizing the data set in a way that was amenable to machine learning you know just Uploading, organizing it, etc. We we started off with, you know, essentially Word documents and PDF reports over multiple years with different versions and just figuring out how to parse all that. Uh, looking back now, ChatGPT probably would have been uh, very useful, at least large large language models. But you know, we did it the old fashioned way. Um, you know, so that was that was how the company got started. Uh, it was sort of that that phase of the company was largely bootstrapped. We uh, we had eventually we we sealed a collaboration agreement with GE, uh, a five-year master services agreement to um, kind of help them do R and D on some of their algorithms. And you know, like I said, our our goal was never to be an R and D company. But you know, when when you have a startup, every you know get get money where you can take it. And so that that not only uh, helped us with funding, 
And it wasn't even, uh, you know, we specifically negotiated that deal. It wasn't a huge amount of funding because we intentionally wanted to get our foot in the door. And it worked because that allowed us to seal our first uh, angel round, uh, which, you know, led to, you know, getting salaries, which was uh, great. Um, and th then uh, with that, we have been focusing on, on building our product and getting through FDA. So uh, since we've been around, I believe that we have spent or raised probably uh, between a probably around one to 1.3 million right now. And that's to, you know, build our, organize our data set, build our product and get it through FDA. So the biggest news for us is that we submitted to FDA uh, about two months ago. We already uh, got our first round of feedback back. So, uh, you know, I would say that we're expecting clearance in uh, Q1 of next year, but possibly, uh, you know, still this year, uh, still at the end of this year. Uh, we're also what once we what uh in parallel with uh submitting to fda we also did tech stars which is a startup incubator which helped us a lot and with that we started raising our seed round and so we're still currently in the middle of our seed round uh it's going very well um but there's you know uh it's, it's still a work in progress we have a lot of the round already uh spoken for uh you know quick plug if anyone is interested please please reach out uh but i i at least right now, I would say, you know, there, there's no danger of, of the lights going off. Uh, we have like a decent runway now with, with um, money that's already partially coming through this round. Um, I, but, I, you know, so I, I, I would say that I have never been as optimistic about iCardio as, as I am today. Uh, that having been said, it's a roller coaster. So, you know, there, there was definitely uh, times uh, not too long ago where, you know, our runway was... Uh, pre pretty dire straits and you know we had to we were getting ready to take some pretty desperate measures so it's, it's certainly a roller coaster it's uh it's fascinating and uh i know i'm i'm appreciative that um folks like you are out there working on these innovations uh, that will really improve the healthcare delivery model going forward um I guess just to conclude, Roman, um, if you can just tell us what you're most excited about for the next three to five years, um, both in AI and medicine and for iCardio, um, what, what gets you up in the morning? What are you most excited about? Sure, yeah. Um, I, I would say two things. So on, uh, as far as uh, medicine and iCardio has a role here is I, I already mentioned earlier POCUS, point of care ultrasound. I think that this is going to make a tremendous revolution in the way uh, cardiography is done. And, specific, and I, I think the real power of it isn't, you know, I, I live in Los Angeles. There, there's wonderful hospitals around here where if I needed to get an echo, I could relatively easily get one. But when you think about the third world and rural areas, uh, most people will never, would never see a cardiologist in their whole life. Uh, a, a lot of the world does not live anywhere near driving distance to a cardiologist. And, you know, there, there's been studies where you can take POCUS and train uh, a nurse in, in about a day on how to get kind of the, how to do a basic echo exam. And they could take this out into rural communities, underserved communities and uh, conduct an exam. And then the remaining bottleneck is really just the human to interpret it. But I, I think this is where iCardio fits in. Now, even that is in the bottleneck because you can use AI screen cases and say out of these, you know, thousand cases that, thousand uh, echo studies that you've done, these seven really need to see a doctor and, and kind of triage them that way. 
I think, you know, I, I, at the end of the day, I think that if we could address that need, that that's at the end of my life, that's what I'll be most proud of doing because I think that it really will save a lot of lives. Uh, and then the other thing that I think is really exciting in our space is the rise of uh, large, uh, found, you know, technically like foundation models, large language models, generative AI, et cetera. Um, you know, this is really uh, almost made, I don't want to say obsolete, but, you know, is the next generation of AI. And I think that this adds a lot of capabilities. Uh, there's a study by Google that I'm really excited about uh, where, you know, they trade a network that you could actually converse with about a medical exam. So it'll it'll read, understand all the images in the study, give you the conclusions, but then you can actually ask questions like, hey, AI, I'm a doctor. I don't see, you said that this patient has this this condition. I don't see why that's the case. Can you please explain to me why you think so? And it'll pull up the relevant video, the relative frame in the video, the relative part of the frame and say, this is why I think, you know, why I made this diagnosis. And then the doctor could agree or disagree. So I think we're kind of, moving into a much more intimate collaboration <clears throat> between clinicians and AI. And, you know, I'll, I'll say again, if, if there's any doctors listening, obviously doctors, uh, the ones that are listening, at least you guys never make mistakes, but there's a lot of uh, doctors in the world, especially non-specialists uh, who might who might interact with, with these uh, images when there's no, potentially when there's no specialist available that don't have the years of fellowship training. And a tool like this will dramatically help them make better decisions. Amazing. Great. Roman, this has been uh, just fascinating to me. I, um, I'm very excited uh, to watch your company grow and, and continue its trajectory. Um, do you have any closing comments? Uh, otherwise, we're going to thank our listeners. Yeah, yeah I, uh, I, I want to first uh, thank you guys. This, this has been a, a really great conversation. And uh, thank you to the listeners as well. And if anybody has uh, any any questions, you feel free to uh, reach out anytime. And what's the best way to reach you, Raymond? Um, probably by by Twitter um, or uh, or just um, by email. I'm Roman at iCardio.ai. Feel free to shoot me an email or uh, reach out to me on Twitter or LinkedIn. Wonderful, Roman. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you to our listeners again. This is the Health Plus Tech podcast. I'm hosted by myself, Holly Buckley, and my partner, Kristen McDermott-Woodrum. Uh, you can find both of us on the mcguirewoods.com website. I uh, would love to hear from you. Um, thank you so much.